Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Um, Before I jump into um, kind of talking about what we're going to talk about this morning, Uh, I saw online where uh, Bobby had mentioned that she has some family members that are still dealing with uh, COVID, uh, and she even has some in her home who are dealing with COVID. So I just wanted to take a minute and pray, because we all probably have people who are impacted by, you know, some variant of COVID. So uh, God, we just lift up Bobby and her family and all those who are still dealing with the repercussions, whether it be uh, the financial repercussions, the medical repercussions, Uh, We just pray that your hand would be upon them. Uh, We pray that you would help not just us, not just Bobby and her family, but all of those who are impacted by it to recover from it. Uh, We pray that you would just uh, just pour out your spirit on those nations that are still continuing to deal with it, which is pretty much every nation on the planet, God. And so we just kind of humble ourselves before you and acknowledge that we need you, your spirit, your grace, your mercy, and your healing to combat this. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 Um, so I wanted to share really quickly before we jump into, uh, jump back to our series, uh, I wanted to start with another Bible verse. And I hope everyone's okay that we jump through a lot of Bible verses, right? I know in a lot of congregations, they do a little bit of Bible and more of, you know, you're great, you're wonderful, God loves you. We kind of do more, here's what the Bible says, and let God tell you how much he loves you. But I wanted to jump into this verse, because it's kind of going to set the stage for um, what we're going to talk about this morning. It's from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. This is the amplified version, and it says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, telling forth divine counsels. Your young men shall see visions, divinely granted appearances, and your old men shall dream dreams, divinely suggested dreams. And uh, just for a little bit of context, this is from Acts chapter 2, where after the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, right, and they started speaking in uh, other tongues, and then all of these people uh, who were there for uh, the, the I think it was the Feast of Tabernacles, heard them and said, hey, they're all speaking in these different languages, right? They're speaking, granted, these weren't around then, but French and Spanish and all these languages. And they're like, and we hear them speaking in our own languages. And they said, it must be because they're drunk, because that's what people do at 9 a.m. in a festival. They get drunk. They said, they must be drunk. And then Peter stood up and said, no, 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 we're not drunk. He said, what you are seeing now is the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel said 400 years ago. And what we just read is him quoting the prophet Joel, where the prophet Joel said that in the last days, right, God declares, I'm going to pour up my spirit on all mankind. And you're going to see visions, you're going to have dreams, and all of these things are going to happen. And what we see here is Peter saying, hey, what you're seeing now is the fulfillment of that prophecy which tells us a couple of things. One, that the last day started back in Acts chapter 2. End times different from the last days. We're in the last days, we're not in the end times, right? But it also tells us that God would use, uh, instead of 
when the Old Testament, God would pick a person, usually a prophet, and would show him visions, and then that person would get sent to go tell all the people. Now we're in a day where God says, I'm just going to pour out my spirit on all the people, and they're going to see the visions. They're going to hear from me directly. And that's kind of what we're talking about now, because even though we're in the book of Zechariah, right, where Zechariah is kind of um, sharing his vision that God had gave him to the people of Israel, what we're in now is we're in a point where God speaks to all of his people through his Holy Spirit. That's kind of why we started doing this devotional, the 21 Days of Spiritual Renewal, to kind of get us in the mindset of God wants to speak to us directly, each and one, every one of us directly, and he does so through his spirit. Now, the next couple of chapters of Zechariah are going to be very spiritual, so to speak, because in the next couple of chapters, God gives Zechariah a bunch of visions. He gives him like eight visions, and we're only going to walk through four this morning because if we tried to do all eight, it would just, just be cramming through, but we're going to walk through four of those visions this morning. And then kind of talk about, hey, how come, yeah, those were relevant to them back then in Zechariah's day, but they're also relevant to us today, All right? So uh, first, let me tell you really quickly, uh, he gives him eight visions that come directly from God, thus saith the Lord, right? The visions that he gives him are revealed by angels. And then the angels interpret the vision for him. So we don't have to sit and go, I wonder what in the ham sandwich is he talking about? Because we're told, here's exactly what, he's, what this means. In fact, we're going to read where Zechariah says, hey, what does this mean? And then the angels will say, this is exactly what this means. So uh, I'm going to jump through these. We're going to talk about them a little bit, and then we'll come back and talk about how this is relevant to us. Why do we need to know this? What is God trying to say to us today through these same visions that he spoke to the prophet Zechariah. Now, if you want to follow along, jump into Zechariah chapter 1, but because we're going to go through so many, uh, I'm putting the verses up here on the screen, uh, but you can follow along in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, should be one under your seat somewhere around you, and Zechariah is the next to last book of the Old Testament. All right, so in Zechariah chapter 1, this is what it says. It says, during the night... I, and this is Zechariah, had a vision, and there before me was a man mounted on a red horse. When he says man, as we're going to see, he's referencing an angelic being that was in the uh, shape or form of a man. He was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine. Behind him were red, brown, and white horses. And I asked, what are these, my Lord? And the angel who was talking with me answered, I will show you what they are. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, these are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. So just, just for clarification, he says these, these, these men on these horses are ones who the Lord, Jehovah, God, has sent to go throughout the earth. And they, these men on these horses, reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, we have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and in peace. Right now, uh, we have to uh, kind of define who some of these are. Uh, some of these angels, they're not defined. We have no idea who they are, right? They're just angelic beings. When you see the angel of the Lord, that's usually a reference to what we call a Christophany. It's Christ appearing in the Old Testament before he was born of a virgin and then died for our sins. 
So what happens is Christ shows up. And the only way that we know it's Christ is because these appearances of these, this angelic being, the angel of the Lord, he shows up and then he claims to do things and he does things that only God to, can do, which distinguishes him from the other angels. Right? So it's not just the fact that the angels are reporting to him that we know it's Christ, but you're going to see in a little bit um, as Zechariah talks on. He says, then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? So the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. And here is what the Lord said, verse 16. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt. And the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says, my towns will again overflow with prosperity and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. So here we have where this angelic being is revealing, here's, here's what God says. And what he's proclaiming in this myrtle tree vision is that God will again restore peace and prosperity to Israel. Because right? right now, they're a nation that's been taken over. Uh, they're a nation that's been defeated. They've been sent back to go rebuild the city and reestablish worship and the temple. But they haven't been doing what God has called them to do. They've been struggling to do it. Uh, they've been getting sidetracked by all these other things, just the cares of life. And we talked about, I think it's last week, where the prophet Haggai who is a contemporary of Zechariah, goes to the people and says, hey, you're busy building your houses, but you're not building the Lord's house, which is the one job that you were sent here to do. And God kind of criticizes them for that. But here, God kind of reassures them that, hey, even though you guys are distracted, even though you guys aren't doing it, that thing that I said will happen, will happen. God's house is going to be rebuilt. It's going to be restored, and prosperity is going to come back to Israel. Now, we're going to come back to this in a minute, but the next vision, right? Zechariah chapter 1, verse 18, Then I looked up, and there before me were four horns, and that word horns is usually synonymous with signs of strength. In this case, it's, he's referring to nations. He says, we're four horns, and I asked the angel who was speaking to me, what are these? He answered me, these are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And he's talking about the four nations that were responsible for scattering them, and we'll, we'll dig into that in a minute. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. I asked, what are these coming to do? He answered, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could raise their head, but the craftsmen have come to terrify them, throw down these horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against Israel. Now, here's the thing we have to understand. Those nations he was referring to, there were four nations responsible for kind of overcoming Israel. The first was the Babylonian Empire, right? Under Nebuchadnezzar, they came in, they took over the nation, decimated, took the people into captivity. Then the Medo-Persian Empire conquered the Babylonian Empire. So then they were now over Israel. Then the Medo-Persian Empire was conquered by the Greeks. So now they were over Israel. And then the Greeks were conquered by the Romans. And so then they were over Israel. So all of these nations, right, uh, these, these nations had authority over the nation of Israel, so to speak, right? Now, this ties in 
with the book of Daniel. Because when they first were captured by the Babylonians, God gave a vision to Daniel, right? Or excuse me, to Nebuchadnezzar, who had a dream, and Daniel interpreted that dream. So uh, I don't know if you guys remember this, but uh, it's been a while since we walked through Daniel, and I know that Mark did, uh, I think it was last year, walked through it in the Bible study. But Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and it's this uh, big statue of gold and silver and bronze and iron. And so he wants to interpret it, but he can't. So then God uses Daniel to interpret it. And this is what he says in Daniel chapter 2. You, O king, he's speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel is, it says, our king of the earthly kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory. And he tells them, you're the gold piece because you're, you're, you're the gold nation. But then he goes on and he says, after you shall rise another kingdom, the Medo-Persian Empire, inferior to you, and still a third kingdom of bronze, Greece under Alexander the Great, which shall bear rule over all the earth. Now, here's the thing. Many people have asked, how come these are the only nations listed, uh, along with the fourth one, Rome, strong as iron, in the book of Daniel? And, and what many people said is, well, Rome was the last world-conquering empire in the world. And that, that's not necessarily true. Here's, here's what happens. The only reason God shows these specific nations is because these are the only nations that take over Israel. Now, after the Roman Empire, there were many more world-dominating empires from a historical standpoint, uh, really quick, the British Empire, in its heyday, had 26% of the world's population under its dominion. That's huge. They were technically the last world-dominating empire. The Mongol Empire, 17%. The uh, Ottoman Turkish Empire, 3%. The Romans had 5%. Greeks, 2 Babylonians, 1%. Medo-Persians, 2%. And obviously, the population of the world differed at those various times. But out of all of these world-dominating empires, the only ones that had sway over Israel while Israel was a nation were the Babylonians, Medo-Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. When the Ottomans had like their reign, they had some control over some of the people that were Jewish, but not over the nation because it didn't exist. Under the British Empire, they had sway over 26% uh, of the world population. Many of those nations that they had under their dominion are where Jewish people lived, but the Jewish people were not a nation. When Hitler attempted his world domination, right, he persecuted the Jewish people, but the Jewish people were not a nation. They did not become a nation again until, was it 1948? Until 1948. So none of these kingdoms, world-dominating kingdoms, had any impact on the nation of Israel. So when God gives this vision to Daniel, and then later to Zechariah, he says, hey, these are the only four nations that are going to have dominion over the nation of Israel. And then in the book of Daniel, he says there is one more nation that's going to have, try to have dominion over you. And in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, uh, he says this. He says, I approached one of those standing there, asked him the meaning of all this. And this is a vision that God gives to Daniel. 
And so he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. And then later he says, out of those four beasts, those four nations, will come one nation that has a leader that we know as the Antichrist, and they'll try to have dominion over the nation of Israel. And he says, but the end result is that the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever and ever. So these are people, right? If you, if you know anything about the Jewish culture, who are very nationalistic, they're very concerned about their nation. Their nation has now uh, kind of been uh, in captivity for quite a while, from 586 B.C. to when Zechariah is doing this around, I forget the date, 5-something B.C. So it's been uh, almost 70, oh, well over 70 years, almost 100 years. And they're worried about what's going to happen. And so what God tells Zechariah is, hey, those four nations that have oppressed you and taken over you, I'm going to take care of them. And what he tells him through this four horns vision is that God's kingdom will prevail over man's government. All of these governments, they're going to they're pass away. Uh, we're going to take care of them. Don't worry about it. But God's kingdom is going to prevail no matter what. All right, really quick, let me move on to the third vision. Uh, the next vision that he has is, then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I asked, where are you going? And he answered me to measure Jerusalem to find out how wide and how long it is. While the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him. And said to him, run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. Then he says this, shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming. I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. And what he's telling him is, hey, God's city will be rebuilt. And at this time, it wasn't. They were supposed to rebuild it. They didn't do it yet. And he's saying, hey, God's city will be rebuilt. But also, it's not just about his city. God's kingdom is going to be established. Beyond just a city that you guys see, yeah, there will be a city again. But the most important thing is that God will establish his kingdom. And then to the next vision, really quick, and then I'm going to summarize all this up. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? In other words, he's saying, hey, you can accuse him, but because of what the Lord has done... Your accusations have no weight here. And he goes on and he explains it. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. And this is one of the reasons we know that the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus Christ because angels cannot take away sin. Only God can do that. 
In fact, that's one of the reasons why they were mad at and crucified Jesus is because he claimed to take away people's sin. And they were like, you're blaspheming. Only God can do that. And they missed the point that he was God in the flesh. So he says, I have taken away your sin. I will put fine garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. And the angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways, excuse me, if you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you a place among these standing here. Listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come, I am going to bring my servant, the branch. And that branch uh, is Jesus Christ that he's talking about. And he says, see the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. And this is what he's making a charge to the priest. He says, hey, you guys have to obey my word, keep my requirement, do what I have called you here to do, because at that time they weren't. The priests were just like the people. They were not doing what God had called them to do. But he also makes this promise of redemption, the branch that he's referring to Jesus Christ, where the sins of all humanity were taken away at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, let me, let me summarize all this on what this means to us, because when he gives the first vision, he tells them that, yeah, God will establish peace and prosperity despite the cultural chaos, despite the chaos that they were going through back then. And the same is true for us today. Because we can all acknowledge that there's a lot of cultural chaos going on. I mean, I, I, I try not to watch the news, but you also can't help it because you want to know what's going on. But then when you do, you're like, why did I even bother? Because there's so much just crazy stuff that, that's happening. And a lot of people, especially, I mean, good God-honoring people are like, where is God during all of this? How can God still, still be active in the churches doing all of this? And the reiteration that God tells to us and to everyone is that God will continue to establish not just peace, not just prosperity, but his will will be done despite what's happening in the culture, right? And in the vision of the four horns, it's, it's and again, I, I, you don't want to get political, but you can't help it because that's the world we live in. But what he's reiterating is God's sovereignty will be established despite the government chaos. And right now, we kind of got a reprieve from all the governments, kind of, but the closer we get to the next election, because they're congressional and gubernatorial and all these elections coming up, it'll, it'll start spiking again. And unfortunately, when it does, the church will start dividing again. And we're not supposed to be focused on, hey, which government is going to be the best for America? Yeah, we should vote. We have a constitutional right. You definitely should. What we should be focused on is how can we help fulfill God's plan for all humanity? How can we help that along? And then he says uh, uh, this in the measuring line, that God's kingdom will be established for all mankind. 
right? Jesus uh, died on the cross, not just to save you and me and the uh, Jewish people from their sins, but for all mankind. And we, we get the privilege, because that's what the next vision is about, of, of sharing about God's redemptive plan, right? He tells the priests, hey, you have to keep my requirements. That's what he tells them then. But what God tells us now is that you and me, we are the priests who have to keep his requirements. Uh, Peter says this in 1 Peter. He says, you are a chosen people. Like literally, God literally handpicked and chose us to be his people, to be a royal nation, a whole, excuse me, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And he did it so that we could declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful life. And I love the next verse because it says, once we were not a people, and we weren't. We weren't a people before. We were like some people from Jefferson Hills, some people from Elizabeth, uh, some black people, some white people, some Republican people, some Democratic people. But when God fills us with his Holy Spirit, now we're just all his people. The Holy Spirit-filled people of God that he wants to use to reach this world. Now we are united by his Holy Spirit, like we talked about in the beginning. Now because of his Holy Spirit, just like Jesus prayed for, we can be one just as he and the Father are one. And as we are one, we get to go out and tell people about that God who saved us, loved us, and united us and broke down all the walls that divided us. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And we're just going to spend a moment in, in prayer. God, we pray for every single person here. We pray that if we have not experienced your love and your mercy and your grace, if we have not been filled with your Holy Spirit, then we pray that we would open ourselves to hear from you right now, to acknowledge that your redemptive plan has been established, to acknowledge that in a single day you took away the sins of all humanity by sending your son to die upon a cross, and to acknowledge that it is your desire that each and every one of us Accept that and be able to spend eternity with you because we have been cleansed. And God, we also pray that you would use us, as your word says, to be those priests, to be that holy nation, that chosen people who proclaims your goodness to this hurting and broken world that we live in. We pray that we might be able to proclaim to the people in our circles of influence about the one who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.